Welcome to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy practitioner. I'm your host, Holly Waymont. I work for UT Health San Antonio's Department of Pediatrics. In this podcast, we explore how we can provide the best, most cutting-edge, compassionate care for children. We hope to give you a unique and behind-the-scenes edge from our expert guests. After listening, click on the link on this podcast for free credit that may include CME, MOC, or ethics credit, depending on the topic or podcast. Today on Pediatrics Now, we're talking about the baby formula crisis. Joining us here in the podcast studio is Dr. Cynthia Blanco, Division Chief of Neonatology at UT Health San Antonio and University Hospital and world-renowned feeding expert. Dr. Blanco completed her undergraduate studies and received her MD at the Universidad de Guadalajara in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. She completed her residency in pediatrics at Texas Tech University and her postdoctoral degree in neonatal perinatal medicine at the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio. She has a master's in clinical investigation. Dr. Blanco is heavily involved in clinical research and has been well published in peer-reviewed journals. Her research interests are in parenteral and enteral nutrition of the critically ill neonate. Her research focus includes enteral nutrition strategies to decrease the incidence of necrotizing enterocolitis with exclusive human nutrition. Due to her passion in neonatal nutrition, the Bone Institute was established under her leadership at UH. She is one of the members of the Committee of Nutrition for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Blanco believes we will continue to improve the health of neonates, children, and adults by improving nutrition and metabolism at an early age. Dr. Blanco, it's such an honor to be here with you today. I'm so impressed with your work and what you're doing to improve the lives of neonates. Tell us, what's the current status of the crisis um, unfortunately, we are still um, dealing with uh, formula sor- uh, shortages um, due to different issues um, at um, uh, plants that involve um, uh, areas in the country that have not been able to produce as much formula as they uh, can. Um, the FDA has been uh, working very uh, diligently to monitor the places and to ensure that a baby formula is produced in a safe environment. Um, having said that, as one of the members of the Academy um, of Pediatrics um, in the Committee of Nutrition, we're trying to help the practitioners to um, have additional tools in order for uh, them to navigate this crisis. Um, Some of the tools are already published in the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics uh, um, uh, website, and you will be able to access those uh, links um, at the end of the presentation. Um, With the um, different formulas that you have, uh, one thing that we have to remember is that there's very few children that require specific formulas that cannot be exchanged for other types of formulas. So it is important for you to advise um, the um, patients what type of disease process does the baby have that will require specific formulas. And um, with the tools that are published, um, then you can navigate the different options that those parents have. Uh, We're trying to help all of the practitioners to be able to access those tools so you can have a um, readily um, available 
um, list of formulas depending on the protein type and depending if it's a preterm or a term baby. Um, and therefore, then you have all those different options listed and ready to go for your patients. That way, then your patients know that, okay, so if I cannot find this uh, specific brand, this other specific brand has um, the same components. Is it just made by a different company? And you can reassure uh, your patients that in general, the majority of the babies will be okay by switching uh, to different formulas as long as they have uh, very similar components. So generic brands are safe? The generic brands are safe as long as they are purchased from um, large uh, and established companies. Um, I am, um, you know, aware of like, you know, for example, Target, Walmart, Costco, those are big companies that are producing uh, generic formulas for term babies. And those should be uh, perfectly safe as long as they are still within the date of usage, of course. So are there unsafe practices you've seen that you'd like to tell pediatricians to talk to their patients about avoiding? <coughs> Absolutely. There's a, a, a lot of things going on uh, on the Internet, different things that um, parents are using, and uh, perhaps also utilizing that um, tool that we have published on the um, AAP for the formula shortage, right, to remind the uh, public to avoid those unsafe practices. For example, diluting uh, and adding more water to uh, stretch that uh, baby can uh, is not safe. Reminding them that those formulas have specific, you know, uh, nutrient concentrations that are not going to be met uh, for the baby's needs if they do that. And um, a lot of the issues will be with the uh, electrolytes, the uh, uh, per percent of calcium, sodium concentrations, and the, uh, the babies can develop seizures and develop other conditions. Other unsafe practices that are going on are producing or making your own formula at home. And with the thought that, well, 50 years ago, we were making our own formulas because not everybody had access uh, and there were not a lot of companies making baby formulas. But we have learned a lot since. And we know now that a lot of those formulations that can be made at home don't have the specific nutrients that the babies need to uh, provide the best uh, nutrition for brain growth, um, iron supplementation, and a lot of other supplements that we have learned over the years in this uh, formula science, right? And the other thing is also... Um, some parents are using substitutes um, like soy milk, right, or regular cow's milk or oat milk, and they don't have the right amount of nutrients either. So reminding them that those unsafe practices are not going to be um, okay and that they're harmful for their babies, it's very important. Um, it all depends also if the baby's less than six months old, if the baby's nine months old, or over 12 months of age. Um, and those tools for the reminders of what to do, how to change the formulas, and what is safe and unsafe, depending on the age of the infant, are very important for you uh, to remind your patients. Um, the other thing is uh, some people are using toddler formulas, right, because then they see them at... Um, on the shelves, and then they see that they're powder formulas, and they say it's, you know, toddler 
uh, it's probably going to be okay. Uh, but the amount of nutrients that the toddler formulas have are not enough and is not sufficient for the baby's growth. So I think that, um, you know, having those tools, um, you can print them, you can have them readily available. And just as a reminder, as a constant reminder, every time you see your patients will be extremely helpful. And last is the use of pasteurized or unpasteurized donor human milk. There's a lot of practicing um, of that in the internet, right? Sharing breast milk. And you know, um, breast milk is uh, the best nutrition for your baby and encouraging uh, breastfeeding and having um, additional support services for um, moms to be able to successfully breastfeeding is going to be the best uh, feed uh, that they can give for their babies. But sometimes some moms cannot produce enough. So then they're um, uh, getting to a resource where they are either obtaining or purchasing unpasteurized uh, donor human milk, and just to remind them that that's unsafe because a lot of the disease processes that get uh, transmitted through blood, they get transmitted to through the um, uh, donor human milk, and, um, and that is uh, an unsafe practice. If they can reach out to try to get a, a pastor, fully pasteurized donor human milk from some of the companies available for the outpatient, which is very small number of places that they can do that or get a prescription for a specific disease process, that's something that can be done. Do you feel like there could be a lack of trust in the public because they've seen this crisis and so they have that urge to try to, well, I'm going to take this on myself and try to create something and that's something that pediatricians really need to be conscious <coughs> of? Yes, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, there's... Um, uh, because of the pandemic, because of many things that have happened since, and because the access of information uh, through uh, the internet, um, I think that it's uh, something that you constantly have to remind your patients every time they come for a doctor's visit. If they're less than one year of age, you should constantly remind them what are the safe and unsafe practices give them the uh, information, and, and I think that if it's coming from a trusted physician like yourself and you have that connection with the family, they will listen to you. Don't uh, underestimate the potential and the capabilities that each pediatrician has to communicate with that family because they're going to understand it better, they're going to receive it better, and you are the expert for them. Uh, in the contrary, advertising through um, big companies, through the FDA, through the websites, it perhaps may not have that same trust, and they may not um, take that advice as much as if it comes from you. So you have the power to make that change. You have the power to be able to um, continue to support your patients with the best and safe practices. That's an excellent point, Cynthia. And to make sure that we're up to date on those, you know, on everything, you would recommend a website, the American Academy of Pediatrics? There's several ones. Um, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics has a specific uh, website for uh, the formula shortage. Um, and I will be um, happy to provide it to you so then you can post it at the end of the uh, session. Um, there's also another um website uh, that is uh, from Healthy Children, and that has a pamphlet f 
specific for uh, patients. The other one is specific for pediatricians. And there is a third one that I will recommend, which is from the uh, North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hematology, and Nutrition. And that website also has uh, several tools um, that you can download and that you can print for your patients and for yourself or for your staff um, in the uh, different categories of the different formulas per different type of protein right, and per different type of patient, premature or term. And it also gives you a guideline with the uh, imported formulas as well um, because that's going to uh, hopefully continue to be approved until the f- uh, amount of formula that is produced in this country um, it's able to successfully be able to provide the n- amount for th- our country, we will probably continue to import some of those formulas. So familiarizing yourself to the names and the different brands and what they have and what are the differences in between those formulas is key. And um, we do have at UT a specific pamphlet as well that um, we uh, can share with you and it will be posted at the end of the talk uh, for our website. So you can utilize for uh, your patients. It's an easy tool. It's different uh, brand names from the different formulas. Nowadays, uh, you really need almost a... um, uh, master's degree to understand all the different names and right. what they mean. <laughs> so we're trying to make your life easier um, through our um, uh, dietitians that have worked really hard on putting these tools together. So then you can focus on your time on counseling your patients and not trying to decipher the uh, formula uh, names and situations. And we will put those links, like Cynthia said, in this uh, in this podcast. And if you're in the San Antonio area or surrounding area, I can drop some by your clinic. Um, If you're interested, just contact me directly. The email we have for this podcast now is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. So we know historically when when a crisis happens, that often leads to growth. Do you feel like after all this um, is over, we, we will be stronger in terms of formula in the United States? Absolutely. I think this has given us the uh, capability of um, seeing how certain formulas that are key for certain type of patients, for example, our patients with metabolic disease, right, our patients with renal conditions, um, our patients with very severe gastrointestinal conditions that require a specific type of formula, but it's only made by one particular company, how this can really trigger not just a, a crisis in our country, but it's, it was a global crisis, right? So this right. will trigger other uh, companies to be able to make a few of these formulas and the importation of different uh, formulations from our um, friends in Europe, other companies that are around that before it was, um, you know, months and months and even years of uh, getting uh, these formulas over to be able to utilize them, I think it's going to open the door to have a a more wide variety of um, uh, formula uh, makers that will be able to produce those specific formulas. That's great to hear that there's hope and it's going to get better. Let's take a case. A six-month-old needs specialized formula with feeding intolerance. The mom is having a hard time finding formula. 
what's your advice there? Um, I think, like, you know, the first question to ask, right, uh, is this six-month-old growing appropriately? Is this six-month-old uh, following the growth curve since birth? Right. What were other conditions that the six-month-old had in the neonatal period? Did this baby have any intestinal surgeries? Did this baby have any inherited conditions like astroschesis, like um, phalloceles, or other um, ileal or um, you know colonic atresias? Um, these conditions, um, you know, will give you a clue that this baby is in a specialized formula because of those intestinal conditions, right? So then you should go on that pathway of like, what are the different formulas that I can utilize with this very highly specialized amino acid-based formula, right? So that will be the, uh, the, uh, the, the names of the different formulas that you can interchange with, and then you go on that path, right? Usually those formulas are little, those were the ones that were the hardest to find initially. But right now we actually have enough uh, product to be able to offer different, um, um, different uh, options. For example, um, the Alpha Amino, right, made by Nestle, LA Care Infant made by Abbott Nutrition, Neocate uh, by My Nutrition, uh, Puramino also made by Mead Johnson. So those are the, the type of formulations that you can interchange formulas in between. Those patients will have a harder time to uh, be able to tolerate other type of formulas, but it can be done and it can be done safely. Um, but then, like, let's take the same case, right? Um, the... Um, the baby has been on this specialized formula because the baby was not feeding very well or eating as good in the neonatal period. The baby was gassy. The baby was having some difficulties with, um, you know, uh, stooling, different types of stool. But then the baby was switched for a partially hydrolyzed amino acid-based formula. And then the baby has been growing well. The baby has been following the growth curve. So then that's one of the things that, you, you you can think about, well, what are the different formulas that are out there, right? And then you can look through, and if it's a partially hydrolyzed formula, there are many different options that you can uh, you can go for. Uh, Gerber, Perigo, Mid-Johnson, Abbott, all of them have a, a lot of different products. Some of them have so many complex names, uh, but there's like, you know, the main difference is very minor. So you can really use one or the other. And that's what we explain in our, um, our tool. Um, so for those infants, it will be safe to switch in between the different brands pretty easily. And in general, if they do not have an intestinal condition, even with the huge shortage, they should be able to even uh, tolerate regular uh, formula. Uh, because most of those conditions are transient and the, um, the protein milk allergy and the um, type of allergies that we're used to seeing, like lactose intolerance, et cetera, are extremely rare in the population. And as we know, all the different types of formula, they can probably all be the same. It's just what fixed the problem of the baby. It was time and growth. So, and let's take one last um, uh, different uh, take on this baby, right? This baby was a six-month-old, but was very, very difficult to grow, 
right? It was very difficult because the baby was having a lot of additional stooling. The baby was not absorbing a lot of nutrients. That is the only tool you have is the growth, right? And finally, on this particular formula, the baby was able to grow. It's, it, it is very likely that that happened not because of the allergy to proteins or carbohydrates, but it's probably because of the type of enteral uh, fat or lipid that that particular formula has. So then you have to pay attention to the type of lipid that that formula has and that you can interchange for a different type of formula, right? So in general, you will have to pay attention to the medium chain triglyceride percent that it's in that particular formula in order for you to try to keep the same percentage on that formula to be able to have it as an interchange for that particular patient. So it's just going through the past medical history, which in many cases you may not have complete uh, past medical history, but you may have an idea of what has been happening for the last six to nine months. Also here on Pediatrics Now, <coughs> we like to take an anonymous question from a pediatrician. I was talking to a community pediatrician yesterday, and she was saying, and I know we've covered this already, but it would be great to stress, she'd say, how do I... What do I tell my patients when they just need the general formula, not specialized? What's the best, you know, line or two? I have 20 more patients to see. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you recommend? The recommendation will be you can interchange the formula, the generic one. You can buy the generic or any of the uh, term formulas that you would find in the market, and you can change to any of those formulas any day and any time, and your baby will very likely be okay. Even if the baby was, um, you know, premature, right, the late preterm babies, they need a little bit of extra of calcium, phosphorus for a transient period of time, but we really don't know how long do they need it, and is that beneficial to them? So on the babies that were born that were greater than 1,500 grams, it's very likely that also using the regular term formula, it's going to be okay. And you should try to really emphasize the formula, the content is the same. It's just somebody that makes it different and is the name and is what they say on those names that perhaps may lead you to believe that it's a better formula than the other formula, but it's not. The content is the same, and you can reassure them that their baby will be okay. And is it okay to follow the directions on the, um, the can of formula? Absolutely. It's okay to follow the directions. Uh, the few exceptions is the, the patients or the infants that have different types of concentrations for caloric content that is incorrect. Uh, it's higher than the regular concentration. The majority of the patients that are seen in the clinic, they will be on a 20 calorie per ounce formula and they should follow the CAN instructions, es especially if they're buying the formula from overseas. Is there anything we haven't covered that you've, you feel like pediatricians need to know for I this update? I would say um, the... Uh, if the formula shortage is such that the families are asking you, for example, can I use cow's milk transiently, regular milk, right? The baby, it's already nine months old. The baby's eating some food already. Um, it, you can probably say yes 
for a very transient period of time. Usually we do not recommend for more than a week. If that is the case, then we have to other tools that we can help you with. We um, uh, WIC has uh, plenty of stock right now. And again, the generic formulations have plenty of stock. If they have a specific condition where one of your patients, you're in need, um, and for example, has intestinal disease, has short bowel syndrome, has um, liver disease or kidney disease that requires a specialized formula, Remember, you have partners in this area. You have uh, UT Health, University Hospital, the um, inpatient dietary services that you can find also in our website. We will be able to help you find those uh, formulas because that's what we do. We take care of the sickest patients and we take care of a lot of the patients that require those specialized formulas. And we will be able to help you. That's wonderful. And is there one population to be particular, particularly aware about who is, who is affected the most by this crisis? Um, one of the populations that were affected here in town uh, was uh, the babies that have gastrointestinal conditions that fortunately now we have not had a shortage of their elemental formulas for quite some time, so I'm hoping that that's going to stay the same. And the other population was the uh, babies that had uh, um, kidney failure and required specific formula, uh, the PM6040, and fortunately that has not been in a shortage anymore. But we have other tools to be able to either um, help you find it if you uh, if this crisis goes back into affecting that particular uh, population. Thank you so much, Cynthia. This information is incredible. And how's it going in the NICU? Mm. It's going great. Uh, we have um, a lot of babies. We are taking care of a lot of uh uh, babies with uh, very different conditions that are um, very sick. Unfortunately, our um, amount of mom's own milk, it's pretty good. It's pretty high. Our amount of uh, pasteurized donor human milk that we utilize for our premature babies or our babies that have the highest risk conditions, it's uh, enough. And through this formula crisis, the inpatient hospital um, supply of formulas has been kept in a way that we've been able to interchange different formulas during this time that has not really affected our patients. So thank you for asking, and uh, babies have been uh, doing well in the NICU in the majority of the hospitals in the country. That's great to hear. What inspired you to go into this line of medicine, this focus that you have? Um, I believe that, um, you know, not only taking care of babies at the beginning of their journey of this life is extremely important, but we are what we eat. And that is, to me, w the nutrients and all of the specialized intake that we have. If we really dig into it and we really understand what will be the perfect combination to provide the maximum a man of uh, nutrient um, for these babies that will lead to a, the best outcome, I think that is key. And that's what I, I've invested in the last 20 years of my career in trying to figure that out for babies that have, you know, prematurity, for babies that have intestinal disease, and for babies that have different conditions to try to figure it out 
there's not one recipe that works for all. There's multiple recipes. And what are the recipes that are best well-balanced to be able to provide that long-term health and the successful transition from um, being in the womb to the outside world? Do you have some words of wisdom, life um, advice for our listeners that you'd like to share? Well, I am a pediatrician at heart. That was my first love. And um, I always uh, tell my um, trainees that the love and the passion to serve a child is what drives me. And that's what gets me every day to work. That's what has given me so much strength to be able to go through a lot of hurdles through medicine and to go through understanding and putting all this time and effort into learning to try to um, provide the best care for our children who are the future of our world. Um, I will emphasize that in my career of academics, uh, juggling um, clinical trials, basic science, uh, doing experiments, uh, teaching, uh, developing curriculums, um, and taking care of patients directly. Um, it's, it's, it's a juggle of every day, which will probably be the same as the juggle of every day that all the pediatricians do of uh, going to work every day, trying to juggle their offices and trying to juggle being administrators, right? Being uh, their own researchers on their own um, way and doing all of the um, also, you know, family uh, stuff that you have to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it pays off. I think that it's, uh, we have to make time for everything. And as long as we are enjoying what we do every day, it doesn't matter if we work hard, if we work so many hours or after hours. What I tell all my students, what it matters is that I, I'm lucky enough to be doing what I love to do and that I'm passionate about it. And not many people can say that that's what they have for their job every day. I am very lucky and I feel that I come to work uh, every day to do the best thing we can do for the kids. And I feel so lucky to be able to be here sitting with you, talking to you. I, here on Pediatrics Now, I, I like to promote activities outside of medicine in this high burnout, high stress career. What do you like to do outside of medicine? Um, I like to travel a lot, and everybody that knows me uh, knows that every little time that I can find, even if it's a weekend, I will pack my bags and I'll just go. Um, and I think that it's important to do that, to do something that you're very passionate about, right? I'm passionate about the kids, but I'm also passionate about travel. So any any time that I can find, I just... Um, whether it is at a state park close by or it is at a different city in a different country just for the weekend, um, I am um, always uh, on the go. And um, I think that just finding the time to do it at that moment, right, you will never be able to carve time and to be able to do this. Maybe once a year you can do it and you can plan it. But in between, um, I, I, I love to have this uh, extra bits of uh, happiness that, you know, it recharges me, even if it's, uh, you know, um, a lot of time on the road or a lot of time on an airplane, 
then I think that uh, as long as you follow what you're passionate about, you should try to do it, even if it's one day or two days in between your work. Dr. Cynthia Blanco, thank you so much for being here today on Pediatrics Now. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. Pediatrics Now is produced by Nick Mary. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.